The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi everyone, I am Mac19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. And look, uh, joining me as always are the lovely Portia and Rick. Good yeah. evening. What was that, Rick? How are we? Hello? Can you hear me? I'm good, but I think Rick's, um, I don't know what's wrong with him. Maybe he's been muted or something, but he's not as loud as usual. <laughs> it's probably a good I'm thing. Building up momentum. But it's, <laughs> it's an exciting night. You know, again, spending it with Porchetta and Macarena. <sighs> you could at least call what... him Macarena and make it two foods or something. That'd make more yeah, sense. Follow it up with anus, it's even better. <laughs> a third food. <laughs> welcome, Janus. What a welcome. Hello. Hello, hello. Well, let's get straight into it and talk about the grand final. Hawthorne, look, all credit to them. They just know how to win premierships. They won their 13th flag uh, by 46 points over West Coast. Uh, for the second year running, the grand final was almost over halfway through the second quarter um, as Hawthorne played some pretty inspired footy uh, through the middle and uh, especially out forward as well, uh, whilst West Coast just seemed to waste their opportunities. Yep. Um, I suppose it's a disappointing grand final in a lot of ways um, because it was just kind of shit. And also, uh, really, I mean, when are they going to investigate the state of non-Victorian football with all these Victorian teams winning premiership? It's not right. <laughs> you know, full credit to Hawthorne. They are a good side. They take advantage of home ground advantage and like some of the WA sides. Um, they know what they're doing. So, yeah, good luck to them. Hopefully we're the ones to knock them off. We can be giant killers again. That's it. Well, I think West Coast showed um, when you have a lack of access to the MCG, which is a unique ground with its environment, especially if it's windy, uh, which we sort of got exposed to in the preliminary final in 2014, uh, that can really expose you. And they were the dominant team probably in the first quarter or the first half of the first quarter, but couldn't maximise their chances. And it... It looked like um, a little bit of stage fright, but also a little bit of um, not handling the conditions. And as you said, Macca, you've got to give credit to Hawthorne. They have an amazing ability uh, to be able to perform under pressure. And you know the stats that have been thrown around their grand final uh, victory with their straight shooting for goal, especially after the first um, final loss, is quite amazing. And that ability to perform under pressure has really been the defining um, uh, highlight for Hawthorne over the last three years. Yeah. Did anyone else find some uh, similarities between West Coast performance and ours in 2007? That performance by West Coast on the weekend is exactly the reason why getting into a grand final on the back of a easier draw in terms of who you play and stuff um, is a double-edged sword because they didn't get the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm going to use the word gumption, but that's not the word. The steel, the metal, to take it up to um, top six. Yeah, the top six sides, you know? Like, when you're playing against a Hawthorne or a Sydney or a Fremantle away from, well, obviously not Fremantle, but all these other sides away from home and getting a hard draw... It gives you the impetus you need in the finals because you say, well, we've already gone through this before. We can do it again. 
Whereas West yep. Coast, the final series was pretty much the f- hardest games they've had all like in a row all season. Pretty yeah. much. So... No, I do agree with that. I um I personally found a lot of similarities between our perform or our season as a whole in 07 and West Coast um, as a whole in 2015. I mean, no one really expected West Coast to get this far. They improved out of sight pretty much due to career best years. Um, to a bunch of their sort of you know under 23, 24 year olds, I'm talking about you know Dom Sheed, Shepard, Elliot Yo, Cripps, Sinclair, Shuey, um, and really all except Shepard were pretty much terrible in the grand final. Um, and you look at some of the stats. I mean, Hill, Lacroix, and Cripps uh, combined for 117 goals for the year. They only managed two between them in the grand final. Kennedy was spanked all day, just absolutely given the bath of a lifetime. Elliot Yo had such a really good year. And had just two kicks for the day. Sinclair and Nick Nat took no marks between them. I mean, for me, I found a lot of similarities between the likes of Westhoff, Ebert, Pettigrew, Chaplin, Logan, um, and their performances in the 07 Grand Final. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could say that they sort of, well, not that they didn't deserve to be there, but that they were certainly the surprise side to make it. Um, and maybe they were on the beneficial side of the finals draw as well. Um mm. But uh... they looked nervous. They, to me, they looked incredibly nervous and overawed by the situation that they found themselves in. They looked far too timid from the get-go, and I don't know. They just seemed to play completely into Hawthorne's hands. I mean, the the one thing that you don't want to do against Hawthorne is zone off, corral them, allow them you know the time and space to use the ball effectively because you know that they are going to use the ball effectively. And that's pretty much what they did, uh, apart from. You know, one very small moment by Wellingham in the first quarter where he sort of barreled through Luke Hodge and, and laid a big tackle a couple of seconds later. There was pretty much no physicality to West Coast game at all. Well, the physicality is one thing, but the zoning off is another one, really. And, um, I mean, I think we just discussed it last week when discussing Ross Lyon-style football um, in that if you just sit back and zone and wait for the opponent to come to you, you can get away with a lot of wins doing that because a lot of sides are not all that good. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't let the good teams dictate their terms by just zoning back and hoping they're going to fall into what you want them to do. Um, mm. Particularly when they're good at gaining possession up the ground. I mean, the Hawthorne are the possession side in the league right now. Um, yeah. There's no doubt about that. And possession football is designed to beat zones, basically, in the AFL anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. It was interesting, wasn't it? It was almost like the week one loss sort of helped them pick apart uh, the West Coast uh, great game plan for the, the grand final, and I think it was a lot notice. It was very noticeable. Sorry that um, in the grand final they they were really spotting up that short target inside fifty instead of kicking it long and deep um, to the the West Coast collapse zone, and and that really um, sort of threw West Coast apart. And from there, after they did it repeatedly in the first quarter and the second quarter, um, yeah, West Coast uh, it, their system sort of derailed. From there, and it will be interesting to see how their system operates in 2016 because uh, there's a little chink there now, and uh, yeah, and I think other teams will, will replicate that. But I just agree with you guys. You can't allow um, Hawthorne time and space. Richmond and Port showed that just at the end of the season. Um, what you can do is if, if you cut out that short first kick from defence, and uh, it's just amazing that those teams were so stubborn in their game plan that they wouldn't alter it at all. Well, I think that used to be a Choco criticism and even a little bit of a Ken Hinkley criticism. But, um, mm. 
Anyway, it's done now. Let's piss that off and get on to the real stuff. <laughs> I guess the big news today, uh, just about the best signing we've had for a very long time. Johnny Butcher, one-year contract. Yeah. Go the Butch. The Butch, yeah. Woo! Get in there. The rumour is he knocked back a two-year contract for a one-year contract, backing himself in for a, uh, a pay rise in 2017. Confidence oh. in the young man. Well, he really needed to be given a, a new contract. There was probably no other option, really, um, with uh, Shaw and Harvey going. Uh, we did really need an experienced backup ready to go just in case Dixon gets injured or you know Schultz or Westhoff um, so yeah I'm more than happy for him to be given another year just to see what he can do see if he can continue to develop um, if he gets games or not I'm not too sure but yeah we'll see what happens yeah I, look I honestly I find it really frustrating when we hear all these resigning things in trade week it just shits me off when we haven't completed a trade and then we're hearing about oh we just resigned a, a guy that we could have traded it's like okay we're closing up our options what are we actually doing um i don't know <laughs> yeah but is, is butcher really going to get anything of tradable value this year oh, no actually, who knows people think andrew moore is so who knows <laughs> yeah well i don't think so i mean what we might get a third rounder if we're lucky and yeah. i'm not even, i'm not even reflecting on the fact that you know we paid pick eight for him and so we need to try and get max value back oh, out of him. that's so long that's, ago it doesn't matter yeah that's that's right it's water under the bridge it's just the fact that what benefit are we really going to get out of um you know a third round pick um there's no guarantee they're going to be any better than what she's at the moment anyway with his deficiency so yeah, i think it blows our list management out of whack as well to be honest because then our next uh, best key forward is Dougal Howard, who was an absolute mile off getting a game this year. Mm. Mm. I think the key for me, and I'll be interested to hear Jane's opinion, is I think we're going to have to, if we've committed to him for another year, I hope we commit to adding up our player development resources to assist him in improving his psychological deficiency with his kicking action. What do you think, Janus? I think that... What we need to do is exactly like you said, you give him every resource that's available to him to make him the best player that could possibly, he could possibly be for this particular year. So apparently Ben Perkins is coming in and going to help with the goal kicking side of things. And I don't know if you can get sports psychologists or whatever in there to fix what's going on in his head when he's kicking for goal or whatever because the rest of the rest of Butch's game outstanding but it's just that one aspect that lets him down and if he could fix that up then we'd have such a player in our hands but if we can put the resources into him and develop him and give him every opportunity then if it doesn't work after this year and you've done that then you can say well we tried you know, and then mm-hmm. move him on after a year. But if not, if it does work, then what have you really lost? Not much. Yep. Okay, well, can I ask a question? <clears throat> um, basically, if you're agreeing that, okay, we'll keep him on this year and this is it. So is this it? Like, what is the minimum expectation you would want from John Butcher going in 2016 to keep him on the list after 2016? Like, what would you want to see? What's the minimum? You'd like to see some better performances in the SNFL. 
I know Scorcho keeps on going on about how it's not a keyboards league or whatever, but you know, now that Shaw and Harvey are no longer there, so we're not going to be playing them in the forward line for the Magpies, which is the guy now in that I, side. Look, I so, just kind of feel, sorry, if, if Butcher isn't playing AFL football this year, regardless of the reasons for it, then I think he's done. He has to be. Mm. He's old enough now, he'd have to be done, surely. But he's got, he's got three much better footballers ahead of him. It's, it's a hard one. It really is a hard one. I think it's going to more depend on, A, do we draft another key position forward and where do we draft them? And B, uh, the development of the likes of Howard and Austin. I mean, if Howard follows the path of Harvey and Shaw and gets delisted at the end of next year, then Butcher, I think, is definitely going to be given another year in 2017. Will we have maybe some player management this year? Will, uh, will Schultz potentially be rested on the long-haul flights and uh, a few more away games and his output might drop to, say, 16 games during the season and, and Butch will uh, cover, unless there's an injury to Dixon, which could be probable as well, going on his recent uh, history um, to, and to keep his general improvement. But I think uh, monitoring his improvement will just be based on his, uh, his goal-kicking and his... Um, ability to improve under pressure and if if he can do that well then he's showing progress if he if his kicking skills are not any near, any more developed by the end of next season um to what they are now uh, you would have to think that he would be cooked and um you never know then but who knows but i can see the reasons to to keep him and i'm sure he knows that he'll be uh, fourth in line and he's just gonna have to work hard work hard Anyway, moving on, and uh, I guess uh, the next re-signing, after a lot of speculation over his signature and whether he might go interstate or get pushed out by the alleged uh, squeeze and pressure on the salary cap. Tell you what, the only thing feeling pressure and getting squeezed in my underpants tonight, because Hamish Hartlett has signed on for a massive five years, taking him to the end of 2021. That is a massive contract. Do you approve Porsche? Ah... I think we've been gamed by our competitors, but yeah, it's okay. Do you think we have? Well, I mean, massive approaches to a player with a year left on his contract. Um, there was no way they were going to force anything, except for the court having to now answer to that. Um, you know, it's a perfect situation if you want to pause a bit of mischief, is to say, ah, oh, yeah, no worries, mate, we'll pay you, blah, blah, blah. Now, if he says, oh, I might be interested, you can say, oh, we just couldn't make it happen. You can back out. But it's enough to raise the visible market value of a player. Um, his agent would love it, and it sort of forces the club into a corner because if they go into if they go into next year with Hartlett not having already re-signed at the start of the year, they're going to have to put up with crowd shit and whatever else. It's I reckon, I reckon we've been game. I reckon we've been game there. I reckon I reckon they've already been talking about the contract. <clears throat> excuse me, long before the media speculation. Um, got played out. I reckon he was always going to be given a, a long-term deal because that's the way that we've gone with our key players in the last couple of years. You think back, Gray got four years, Boat got five, I think. You know, Lobie got five, Brody got four. It's just the way that um, we've been going in football as a whole has been going with uh, with free agency now, uh, very much a, a big thing. Um, you know, longer-term contracts uh, are in the vogue at the moment. So, I don't know. I reckon for me... Um, the talk might have given him a few extra dollars, um, right. but certainly not extra years, I don't think. No, I agree that you're quite right that it fits our MO on both of those counts, but I think we've probably been done for a few dollars there. 
without knowing the contract, like the money side of the contract, like the years and stuff, I don't have a problem with. Especially since, you know, like you look at guys like Hodge and Mitchell, they're running around and they're like 31, 32. And that's when Hartlett will be signed to, is signed to. So, you know, no problems there. But until, unless you knew the money side of it, then you couldn't really say whether it was paying over or not. I don't think. Because, I don't know, like others have said, you know, it's... Did he really get those offers for like 750k per year or was it just a gambit thing from other clubs to shake out wines and wingard for next year you don't know probably both maybe you know because hmm. other clubs would have been happy with having a guy like hartler on there i mean if they were going to offer richmond was apparently offering their first round picks for 2015-16 for him which is i mean it's not great but it's good good enough for a player like Hullet, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that you will not know the actual, um, whether it was a good deal or not, until probably two years into it. Yeah, that's fair. So, it's one of those things that you'd have to just bide your time and look at it in a couple of years and say, well, did we win a premiership with Amish Hartlet in those couple of years? You know, if we did, then hey it's worth it I guess one other thing um, that makes me feel more comfortable about the length of this contract than what we've done a year ago is that we seem to have found a position that Hartlett can play not contest free but one where he's probably got a bit less injury risk than he would in some of the roles he's played in the past so it probably does make it more likely he will be able to actually see out the duration so in that count I'm pretty happy with that duration even though I don't really like five year contract that's long um, yeah I um Look, I think we've panicked a little bit myself and I guess I'm concerned by the length of the, the term. Mm. Um, he, uh, he hasn't really um, uh, convinced me yet. His output's still probably been down on what it should be and obviously he's had his injury issues. Um, I would have thought a... And it could be a risky game for us by doing this, but I would have thought a, a three-year deal would be more than reasonable. But again... I don't know if we've offered a longer term to take into account adjustments in the, the salary cap and back end instead of front load and that sort of stuff. So it's really hard to, to make a really an, a proper comment without knowing the full details. But um, yeah, I don't know if a six year contract is what I would have been um, giving a potentially uh, injury prone and slightly underperforming player. but. If he can deliver regularly what he delivered in the back end of the 2015 season, uh, well, then I'll be eating my words and I'll have no issues whatsoever because I thought his finish to the season was fantastic and, and that's what I was hoping that we could get. People talk about him being injury-prone. He's missed one game with injury in the last three years. Yeah, but how many games has he performed under duress? Yeah. Hmm. Which has limited his output. Yep, well, I guess Hamish is... I've got a very high expectation from Hamish with what he can deliver. I think he, he has exquisite skills and is a fantastic footballer. Um, I just don't think he's delivered to that elite level enough. I mean, he is a potential Brownlow medalist as far as I'm concerned because what he can do with the ball, with his skills. And, and it's clearly noticeable in the first half of the season he didn't have that... Um, that swivel and sideway movement. 
which yep. he was able to deliver, especially in the last six games. So obviously his groin was playing up for a fair chunk of the season, and uh, and obviously it came good by the end of the season. So um, you know, if it, we just need a fit Hamish Hartlett to justify six years. All right, let's move on and talk about uh, the player reviews this week. It's titled The Slingshot. So we're going to be looking predominantly at, uh, at the small defenders, I guess, on our list, uh, some of the quicker players um, as well. So first uh, player is uh, Matty Broadbent, the Cobra. At 25 years old, he played 21 games in 2015, dropped early in the year, um, averaged a career-high 20.2 disposals and th- uh, almost 3.5 rebounds per game. Um, I guess it was pretty much a year of two halves, really, for Brody. As I said, he was pretty poor up to round seven when he was dropped. Came back and uh, didn't really put much of a foot wrong um, after that point. Yeah, he's had a pretty decent season. Um, I guess he's one of those players that you really need in a team in that he just keeps sort of plugging away most of the time. Um, I don't think he had a lot of exceptional games this season, but certainly his production was right up there and... uh, I feel like if we if he went missing, we probably would miss him. Um, I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to speak about his highlights. I only have eyes for O'Shea, so you tell me. I thought he was another underperformer, and I thought he was one that could potentially um, be maybe trade baked out of all our half yeah. back flankers on the list he was he's probably the one that might command the most value due to his uh, reliable skills but um, yeah he sort of went in and out this season compared to the season before but his upside a bit like Hamish is uh, is fantastic we just need to be able to drive more uh, continuity out of that upside I thought he and Pittard sort of swapped roles throughout the year I thought at the, at the first sort of two months, it looked like Brody was playing more of a shutdown role and, and not really doing all that great a job at it, whereas Pittard had such a fantastic start to his 2015. Um, then once Brody came back, they seemed to swap roles and almost swapped uh, the, their level of performance as well. Yeah, the thing that's fair. I'd say about Broadbent would be... For the whole entire season, you didn't really like... He didn't have a bad season, but he didn't have a good one either. It was like, I don't know, unnoticeable. No, not unnoticeable. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, unremarkable. Unremarkable, that's it. It's yeah. like there was no, nothing, there was no real big game where you go, oh yeah, he had a fantastic game, like, and it was the best thing I've ever seen. You know, he was linking mm. up and the be- one of the best, in the best players or anything <clears> like that. But at the same time, he didn't really have, like, apart from that, those first few games where he's like, look, we'll see. He didn't really uh, have a poor game either. Mm. You know, I, just, I thought he was really good against Collingwood. That was probably his best game of the year. He had something like 26 touches and 10 rebounds that game. He, I, he, was, he was fantastic that night. But outside of that, he was more sort of consistent, I guess. I guess my main issue with Brody is, and what he showed in the first part of the season was that if he can only play well when he's the loose man, is he worth being in the side? Not really. Because you need to uh, be able to play multiple roles, especially in that sort of position, um, because there's a lot of players that can, can play that position. And uh, I think if Hamish is going to play um, our new quarterback role, 
Uh, I love using that term after the Peter Burgoyne era. Uh, you know, well, that, that's going to put his position under threat and O'Shea and Jasper Pittard. So, you know, it, he needs to be able to be accountable and also be the least man. Mm. Yeah, I think that um, it's a good question to ask because uh, one of, I think the thing that we saw at the end of this year is that we had a, a very overloaded defence. Like, we had all of our halfbacks, flankers playing. We had Hartlett playing defensively as well. Um, we had all of our tools. Um, basically, we just had as many people in the back line as we possibly could. And that makes a lot of sense when you are playing a slingshot game plan where you are, yeah, where you are relying on uh, getting the ball from defence up to your forward line. But hopefully we are going to play a forward line this year because that's better structurally. It's more likely to win us a premiership. But what that means is that to do that, we'll actually have to take back some of those players that we've overloaded our defence with. And so that means that each individual defender, particularly the flankers, because that's where it will disappear from, is going to have to be more accountable and more creative as well. So we're going to have a, a heightened expectation of each individual defender this year um, coming into 2016. And as you said, um, with as many players as we've got, having one guy loose, you can do that when you're overloading your defence. But if you're not overloading your defence anymore, then it becomes a lot harder to justify someone that is maybe a bit iffy um, holding your man down as well as being creative. It's going to be a demanding year for our defenders. If we do it, we should. Oh, you don't think that we'll still play a plus one? in defence, because I would think that's like a Hinkley staple. He likes that overlap run coming back. Yeah, but that's Hartlow. Yeah, I suppose. suppose. Yeah, yeah. Particularly now. (laughs) We're paying a lot of money to do that, so he better be. Yes, (laughs) yes. No, that's true. That's true. No, it's definitely true true that uh, the defenders, because the only reason why we overloaded our defence was because our defence was just so, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, at the start of the year, it was just they weren't doing, getting it done. Now, whether or not that was a case of the midfield wasn't doing their job in terms of, like, putting in defensive efforts and not running hard enough, I don't know. But there was definitely that thing of, oh, when, when was that game? I think it was the Brisbane game that we dropped broadband, but then we brought in two other extra Runners, like I think yeah. it was O'Shea. Yeah. We brought in O'Shea, who'd done nothing at all at that point. Yeah, so. yeah. but we also brought in like Impy or something. Impy was back or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So it was like two defenders for one person coming out, and it was just, yeah, I don't understand what we were doing. I think it was just a case of we'll just chuck more players at a particular problem and hope it fixes itself, you know? Like one of these guys will get it right but it didn't work that way, unfortunately. So, Yeah, I think that the defence... I mean, the defence is the one thing you need to sort of shore up and then you can work on the rest of it. And I agree that probably the defence might have been a weakness in some part, but really, in any side, a large part of the defence performing well is your forward line performing well. Um, because, and more importantly, delivery to the forward line performing well. So if you're getting the ball in defence and you're kicking it up the ground, um, the reality is if it doesn't clear the centre line, basically, uh, and it comes keep, keeps coming straight back to you, then you're going to be playing a full game as a defender. Um, you're going to be running your ass off and you're probably going to still have a bunch of goals scored against you because it's a battle of attrition. Um, and the more opportunities your opponents get, the more likely they are to kick goals. So um, I think that, that partially, I mean, obviously, we've just, I've just talked about how the defenders are an issue. Uh, individually, they're going to have to be a bit better. Um, but I think it's just our forward structure and hopefully that'll be fixed in 2016. 
All right, let's move on and talk about the next player, Jasper Pittard, 24 years old. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> we knew legend. that was coming. Averaged a very much career-high uh, 19.6 disposals a game, as well as uh, career-highs in inside 50s and contested possessions. Uh, took more steps in the right direction, but I'm not going to lie, my, bro- my blood pressure still does go up uh, when he's got the ball. Um, like Brody, I thought there were two parts to his game in 2015. The first part of the season where he was entrusted as the loose man, uh, where I thought he dominated and played probably the well, clearly the best footy of his career and probably the best footy played by that sort of player in our side uh, since 07 Peter Bergwijn. Um, then he was either used more in a defensive role or had someone place on him where he sort of began to struggle a little bit again. Yeah, um, look, I thought Pittard had a great year. Uh, there's no denying that. Um, I think that when you talk about Pittard, it's really interesting to hear what people's views are because I feel like there's a strong correlation between people that hate Pittard and people that don't go to games. Because I think that if you see him at games... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think that if you see him at games and you see the work he does to get the ball to someone um, on TV, because it's a super close-up, he looks like he's running around like an idiot. But at the ground, you can see he's just trying to hold onto the ball long enough for there to be an opportunity to kick it and uh, get a secure possession up the field. Um, I've really enjoyed watching him play this year. He's really becoming a much, much smarter footballer, I think. And the good thing about that is that that increases every year with more experience. So that in two or three years' time, I mean, he'll be All-Australian, I would imagine. Um, he'll, he should have that level of experience and nous in the game. that He'll be right up there. Um, and so that's been fantastic to see. And it's been good to see him go forward and be a bit more versatile as well. Makes him a harder matchup for oppositions and also means that his opponents can't sort of run away from him. Uh, to the same extent. Um, but, yeah, his accountability is an issue. Um, hopefully hmm. Bassett... No, no, it's not Bassett in that offence, is it? Who's that offence? Still yeah, Nicks? Bassett. That's Bassett. Oh, Bassett, there we are. So hopefully Bassett can... Uh, yeah, he's got a big job. He's got a big job. Because if we're reducing the numbers in defence from the end of the year, um, he's going to have to come up with something pretty good and implement it quite quickly. So he's hoping. See, I'm going to disagree with that. I reckon defensively he's pretty well bang on. I, I think he's improved his defensive side of his game completely outside over the last 18 months. For me, I still think he finds new and different ways to turn the ball over or, or to run into trouble and give up ludic- ludicrous goals. And I think he's fantastic when he plays on instinct. I think when he uses that instinct, gets through the ball really quickly, he's an absolutely incredible footballer. When he has the ball for more than about four seconds, that's when I start to get worried, and more often than not, it leads to a turnover. But you're forgetting... And this is symptomatic of not Jasper, but a few of our players. And I'm going to compare. I know what you're going to say, Rick, and I'm going to disagree in advance. (laughs) What am I I going to say? (laughs) You're going to say that it's uh, it's the players upfield that aren't moving enough. No, no, that's the thing. Aren't you, you you Norwegian boar? It's got nothing to do with that at all. It's actually got to do with the fact that. Jasper asks for the ball on the wrong side of his body and he's not mm. the only person that does that so he'll try mm. to take it on his right side and he's only a left foot kick and therefore he gets himself up shit creek without a paddle because <laughs> then he has to try and readjust himself to get onto his left side to dispose of the ball and what yeah. happened in the near the end of the season, he started running and getting the ball on the correct side of his body, which also then meant he didn't have to hold the ball unless he was running a direct line for more than four seconds. Now, he's not the only player in our team to do this. And I, so I think it's all... 
um, a bit of a coaching issue that needs to be improved on. But And this is where, if we compare it to the best team in the competition, Hawthorne, their left footers will take the ball on the left-hand side of the player so they are already on their correct side most of the time. And uh, I'm just looking at the Lost Pets website and there's a lost rab- uh, a donated rabbit called Porsche. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, so Porsche, you're up for adoption. And, uh, <sighs> Good. But that is part of his problem and I think that was eradicated quite substantially in the second half of the year. So if I was you... Mr. Norwegian porn star, go back to your <laughs> reviewing tapes and have a look properly, and you'll see that is the bulk of his issue. I disagree. Well, I think you raise a, a bit of a bigger point there, Rick, in the fact that I think we've actually got too many one-sided players in our squad, to be honest. We've got a lot of players that have no wrong side uh, to their play at all, which um, I think in this day and age is, is a bit of an issue. And look, I, I do think you raise a fair point there with Pittard. I do think um, when he does receive the ball on his right-hand side, I think um, his, his opponents know what he's going to do and that sort of try and get onto his left and they're aware, uh, aware of that. But I still think he runs himself into trouble too much. Yeah, well, that's um, because he's taking the ball on the wrong side. He shouldn't be out, if yeah. he's in the right position. You need to think it But through. no other player does that. No other player in our squad, nay, the entire AFL runs themselves into that much trouble as Jasper Pittard does. And that's a fact. Right there. I want you to provide me stats. And show... <laughs> you show me stats and then I'll believe you. I think you're pulling that out of your bum hole in. No. If you want a stat to go with that, Mac, I would reckon that there would be no player in the league that handballs backwards less than Jasper Pittard. Yep, Probably. I think that's probably what it's related to. And honestly, I'd rather have him running around like a Muppet than hand-passing backwards constantly because that's it might be very destructive. I think you just have it in for Jasper, Macca. You need to get your goggles I don't, off. I don't, I don't have it in for Jasper at all. I thought he played probably half a season of old Australian level footy this year and half a season of um, below-average football this year. And if he can get that up a little bit more, I think he's definitely a chance to be old Australian. Hmm. And I think multi- he, I think he is a vital player in our side in terms of his run, his carry. When he plays on instinct, his skills are fantastic. He creates goals. He creates a lot of run. Um, but yeah, it's it's just raising that sort of uh, that floor of his game and getting that up to a, a better level. He's a potential multiple Brownlow medalist, Maka. Just don't. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't win this year, to be honest. I know, it's a disgrace. I I do think there needs to be an audit. Who's Nat Fife anyway? (laughs) (laughs) I think... Janus? Yeah, with Pittard. When I look at him and look at the way he relates to the rest of his teammates and stuff, I can see a player that pretty much plays to the level that the rest of the team is playing at kind of like an anti-barometer like not a not if he's playing well the team's playing well more like if the team is all playing well and all firing and fit then his performance is exponentially increased so like in the first five rounds we were playing pretty pretty decent football he was looking all Australian but then as soon as the rest of the team started to fall off then came back to him to try and create something out of nothing 
because everyone else was doing nothing. So therefore he runs himself into trouble. So hopefully next year, if everyone else improves, he's going to improve along with them purely by um, not having to create as much. If you yeah. know what I'm saying. Good stuff. Let's uh, move on and talk about Jarman Impey, who was uh, in his second year in the system. He's 20 years old, averaged 12.5 disposals in 17 games. Uh, thought he played less deep in defense this year and did some uh, maybe some more sort of tagging jobs further up the field in 2015. I loved Impey this season. I've almost got to the point where I forget his first name is Jarman. It doesn't bother me anymore. Um, he's had a, I think, he had a really fantastic year. It's amazing to think he's only so young. Um, he's one of those players that I think, oh gosh, it's probably a big call. But I think in terms of his ability to play around the ground, I think he is almost Sean Burgoyne-esque. He's got a bit of work to do, but I feel pretty comfortable with him playing most roles in the side that you'd play a position of his size. Um, because you know he's going to try, and you know he's got a bit of talent, and you know he's got a bit of brain, um, and he's got a competitive edge. Uh, it's been really great to see that develop, and I really look forward to seeing him carry on. Um, it's been a fantastic year. Mm-hmm. No, getting him. Nah, I agree. Getting him in uh, Polek for pick fourteen was a pretty good deal. I mm. believe. Yeah, that was some shrewd trading. Um, yeah, can't say any. Can't say a bad word about Jarman. To be honest, um, did pretty much all the roles that he was asked to do. Unfortunately, got injured for that little period of time for that, those four weeks, so he didn't get that. Um, continuity into his season but when he got going he was um, yeah he was one of the better performers of the side all year yeah yep totally agree isn't he offered a three year contract somewhere else Sydney isn't that what's rumoured isn't he off to Sydney is he I wouldn't imagine so that's very uh, risky by Sydney if that's the case but I I like the way that Jarman's um, uh, progressing. I don't think he's a, a regular first 22 player yet, but oh. uh, he's uh, he's developing nicely and uh, I love his... Strongly disagree. You strongly disagree? Well, did he play 22 games in 2014? Um, how many games did he play in the row at the end of the year? I don't That's care. Did he, play two, did he play 22 <laughs> games in 2014? No. Did I, he play 22 I... games in 2015? No, but Rick. will he maybe potentially play 22 games in 2016? No, I don't think so. He, he will play not only 22 games in 2016, but he'll play his 22nd game in a row in 2016 from this I, year. I heard a rumour that he's also a future Brownlow medalist for Port Adelaide. So uh, that's, <laughs> how, that's how much quality he is. And he isn't a Norwegian <laughs> filthy porn star, unlike Macca. But... I, I still think he's got a bit of way to go. Um, like Jasper, he can run himself into trouble and he, he calls for the ball in the wrong position. But uh, I love his uh, his speed and his line-breaking ability. But I think uh, where where's his best fit? In the defence. And he's fighting with Jasper, Broadbent, um, Cam O'Shea, uh, to name a few. And uh, plus then we've got our tools in Cleary, Homch, uh, Jackson Tringo, Alipati Carlisle. Uh, I just can't see him being a 22-game player next year and keeping those other players out. 
I, I, th- I think I, he can be, and I, I personally would like to see him further up the field. I thought his best footy was played a bit further up the field in 2015, specifically talking about the first half against GWS in round 20, where I thought he was uh, one of the best on ground. Um, for me, he just needs to find some consistency in his game. His best was very, very good. He was great in round one versus Frio, against the Dogs in round 10 as well, um, and against Collingwood. Um but his worst games were just completely invisible. Like, he, he literally did nothing. And you, you didn't really notice that he was actually out there at all. But if you can get some consistency, I think he's a, a vital part of our future. Defensively, he's very good. Great pace, good skills, can kick goals, great sidestep. You know, he can pretty much play anywhere. Yeah, look, I think I agree with Macca that I'd like to see him continue developing up the field. I think it's probably his best place. Um, and I, I, my vision for him is not that he becomes a lockdown defender or even a recreating halfback. I think he's um, gets added to the midfield crew alongside Archie and everyone else um, because he has an, an, a degree of accountability, but he can also punish a player that doesn't pay him respect. Uh, he's done that a few times now, um, and I can see him being a very, very much the player that uh, your opponent's main midfielder. I wouldn't say he'd be a tagger because you don't have taggers anymore, but I think he'll be the closest thing we have to it in our side. Um, just a really tough, contested footballer that can punish you if you don't pay him respect. Right, next player, Cam O'Shea, 23 years old, played 68 games, just the 10 in 2015. Uh, for just 14 touches a game, though he had career highs in rebounds from defensive 50 and averaged also 2.6 tackles a game. Uh Thought his 2015 pretty much mirrored his 2014, where he sort of struggled early in the year to get a look in. Only played the one game before about round 16. Um, thought he came good um, in that second half of the year and um, proved his worth once again in the AFL side when he gets his head right. Yep, he's a good player. <laughs> <laughs> right, Who moving on. About? <laughs> Super Ken. What's that? Do you, do you guys think that his first call-up in the season was very um, unfortunate for him when he was really not in any form at all and they still picked him? And it, it was like lambs to the slaughter. Um, I, uh, I felt um, very... I thought he was very hard done by because he shouldn't have been picked in the first place, played a shit game, then got dropped. And yeah. uh, I didn't think that was very fair. Same thing happened in 2014. He... Um, Probably wasn't in great form to start the season. He got two games, uh, I think in about round four and five, didn't really play all that well, then got dropped, um, and we didn't see him for ten weeks. So, you know, very, very similar to last year. Yeah, I look, I've got, it feels like he's being Michael Pettigrew in that Pettigrew had some good things. He had some good attacking sides to his game, but the way he got his opportunities was really iffy. Um I don't know. I think that Ken has a lot of faith in some players and he'll keep giving them chances. And I think that O'Shea, if you're going to have it be anyone, it should be him because he has shown that if he is, does get a decent run, he picks up picks up form. He does well, you know. We, we look You look through his games record and every time he's played well, it's been games in a row. Like he, Maybe he's just a player that takes time to warm up to the level he's playing at. And um, big games as well. Yeah, well, look, I mean, he played every game in 2013, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, you know, um, 2012, when he debuted, he played, what, the first three, and then he played a crappy one later in the year. 2014, all those games in a row at the end of the year. 2015, all those games in a row. Um, when you're playing defence, I mean, I guess it makes sense to 
to play players as a unit. We talk about how defensive units, the best ones are always the ones that are used to playing together. And I think that this is really just a demonstration for one defender that if you uh, are used to playing, if you can find your spot and you can work out what your spot is in the team, then you can perform. And I, I think that O'Shea has really just through his form line, he's made a case that he should be playing every week, even if he starts a bit slow. Well, I'll ask I the think... question a bit differently here. What does he do wrong? Rather than Concent- what he- concentration. Mm. I think it's his concentration. I think similar to the form of the power side as a whole this year, I think he struggles when he comes up against lesser sides. I think he really thrives when he comes against a really good opposition. Um, and that seemed to be the case in previous years as well. I think um, when there's a big game, I think he's super reliable. So I don't know whether he just gets maybe in his mind... He thinks, oh, well, we're playing Carlton. It's going to be an easy game or or what it is in that regard. But it, I don't know. It just seems to be a bit of a correlation there for me. Maybe, maybe it has a low care factor. Maybe he's happy to go with, you know, no, like maybe, no, seriously. Maybe he's one of those people that's a little bit phlegmatic and goes with the flow and, yeah, so what? If I'm not playing this week. It doesn't matter. I'll play for the Maggies. Whereas, you know, some people have just got that ultra-competitive drive that they need to be the best at anything and everything they do. And some people, uh, you know, they just seem to subconsciously coast and, you know, and get that rev up, oh, shit, let's give it a go because my ass is on the line and then they plateau back down again. Well, as I said, I mean, his form at SANFL level all year was horrible. It was (laughs) diabolical at some stages and he looked absolutely shot as a footballer earlier in the season. But I don't know, it just seems like, and I agree with your comment about Pettigrew. He does have the Michael Pettigrews in terms of, depending on the level that he's playing at, he seems to play a lot better the higher he goes up. Yeah, and I kind of wonder, like we're looking for reasons, and I think there's a probably a really simple reason that is really common for people, is that maybe he's just one of the people that learns a lot better through doing than by practicing in pre-season. Um, and that's why he comes good later in the year when all the team rules have been settled and he's seen how they've been used and how they're deployed. And it's like, ah, oh, so I need to do this then and all these really simple things because not everyone learns the same way. Some people pick up the theory and they can run with it and other people, they have to bang their head against a wall multiple times to work out what they have to do. I'm definitely one of those people. Um, I think a lot of people are and it could even be just something as simple as that, that you hear all the theory in pre-season but until you see it on the field and you work out and you can go back through your footage and go, oh, I did that wrong. Um, maybe it's hard to pick up. Maybe that's why we have this video stuff. All right, moving on and talking about Nathan Cracker, 27 years old, his first year in the system since 2011. I guess we all hoped um, it would be a bit of a fairy tale story in 2015. And whilst the team failed to live up to expectations, um, I thought Crack definitely performed above his expectations this year. He averaged 15 touches over two rebounds and nearly three inside 50s a game across 14 AFL matches. Um, had great form early in the year before controversially going back on the rookie list for a couple of weeks. Um, came back on a couple of weeks later, uh, finished the season in great style with uh, three massive games at the end there. I love the crack. I love the crack. Yeah, everyone loves a bit of crack. Too, man, I want some crack. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't want Macca bending over anymore. That's just not it. Anus, what's your opinion on crack, mate? <laughs> crack. Cracker. Um, Anus is full of it. <laughs> full of crack. Um, <clears throat> what would we say about Cracker? Um, pretty much 
same sort of I would say if O'Shea got uh, nah, it's not it's not like that at all. I would say probably the fitness side of things and his ability to run out games, once he improves that, he's going to be a player that you're going to probably think to yourself, why isn't he in our best 22? Um, yeah, I mean, he has all the tools and he probably put a few players to shame in certain games during the year when he was doing the right thing and they were all just like, you know, throwing their hands up and mm. going, oh, what's, what, what, what do we do? And Cracker was there going, well, this is what you do, and kind of <laughs> like leading from the front. But that could be because he's a little bit older too than the rest of them yep. um, in yeah. the back line. So he's got a bit more of a, a sense of his own football mortality, if that makes sense. Like he knows yeah. that there's going to be an end to his career, whereas guys like Pittard and Broadbent and O'Shea, they're still still young or relatively young. I mean, under 25 so or 25 or, or younger. So... Um, yeah, I think Cracker was such a great pickup, and I'm really pleased that he got it together this season. Because there was, you know, when he came back to the club last year, and he was overweight and really not an AFL standard footballer in terms of his fitness and stuff. And to get to where he's gotten to through the year and actually playing games and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it just shows his, um, maturity, maturity and his, you know, his desire to actually become a better player. And it's different compared to what he was like when he was first at the club where he didn't have that, um, level of maturity. And maybe it was something that he needed to go through that, um, through that process to become a better person so he could become a better footballer. I don't know, but you know, Mm. I was, going to say, I was just going to say, Maka, you can chat about his fitness because I was going to bring that up too, but I think his skills are the most Hawthorne-like type of player we have in our team. When others were yeah. crumbling under pressure, which is what you guys were intimating before, he was the one that was still able to stand up under pressure and hit his targets off the half-back line, uh, which is really the key for us going forward. So, yeah. Uh, and I know you're going to touch on this right now, so hopefully he gets his fitness up so he can be a regular 22 player in our side. No, you're right. He was an absolute rock down back in terms of his foot skills. Um, you know, he just almost faultless throughout the season, just always seemed to hit those targets. And you, you mentioned fitness, Janus. So I think that's a very fair point. I think if you were to look back through the match day threads on Big Footy um, and have a look at half time, he was probably well inside our best players in just about every single game he played at halftime and then faded throughout the second half. Um, certainly in terms of his, I think, his disposal output, um, it was it was a lot more in the first half as opposed to his second half. Um, you know, if he can get that up to an AFL standard um, so he can run out games at that level, I mean, he'd, he'd just be an absolutely magical player and, a, and an absolute rock down back. I think it's been... A fantastic performance from um, um, Cracker to get to where he is now. Uh, and I think that when we're talking about how he was one of the ones that stood up, I think that when he started in the league, 
with Port Adelaide originally, he was, you know, all energy. He was everywhere at once. And you got the feeling he sort of was lost and wasn't sure what he needed to do because he was thinking too big. And I feel like he's one of those people that's learnt the really, really valuable lesson that's extremely hard to learn even if you know the words, which is that everything that you do is one small thing at a time. Um, you know, we talk about Jasper Pitta getting lost because he's trying to think three moves ahead. Um, and there's a place for that sort of player. But I think with Cracker, what you get is that he is in the moment when he's got the ball. And he's like, okay, what's the best thing I can do right now without overthinking too much? Um, I think that's extremely valuable. It's a sign of wisdom in a lot of respects. Uh, and I think it's a good little bit of contrast in our defensive line to have not only the, the all-out creators that are the architects trying to make a, a big thing ahead of them, but also the ones that just do all the small things really well. And um, I agree, he's been Hawthorne-esque. It's been a really... He's one of the guys that you'd really love to hear his, to, to read his autobiography after he's done with football, because I think it'd be absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, and but his year this year has been fantastic. I feel like I kind of expected a lot of it, but that's unfair because he's obviously done a lot of work to get to where he is, um, and good on him. It's been a great year. Well said. Next player, Darcy Byrne-Jones, 20 years old, his second year in the system as well. Uh, played 20 SANFL games this year for 14 disposals a game, also kicked two goals. I thought he improved his consistency a lot this year compared to 2014. Looked a lot stronger, more into the game mentally uh, for longer periods of time as well. Um, I really like Darcy Byrne-Jones. I think he's got time on his side, but I guess my issue is that with Brody, Pittard, Impioche, Cracker all good enough to be in the side, he's going to have to pull pull out something special to start getting games next year. Yeah, well, he's Mission Possible Smokey, isn't he? Um, his favourite from the draft year that he was in. Um, I don't know, I haven't seen any Magpies games, so I can't really comment on his form, but it's it's going to be hard for him to break into that side unless something happens, and it looks like we're not trading out players because we want a premiership. Uh, it's what What's the exceptional thing that he has that can break him into the side next year? Nothing. Not yet. No? Position no, or something? Well, he's got pace, doesn't he? I thought he had endurance. Well, he's he's very quick. He is very he's quick. A, he's okay. got a blended ability of speed and endurance. He's Michael Stevens, is he? <laughs> no, he's Similar body shape. <laughs> Similar body shape to Michael Stevens. Oh, shit. Mm. I mean, he's just one of those players that you want to see in 2016 really evolve his um, his game. I guess, he, you know, I guess that he's one of those players where you can hold on the list for a little bit longer to see what happens because we've got a bit of churning over the next couple of years. So um, I wouldn't be expecting him to really uh, force his way into the side unless there's um, um, some amazing improvement in his skill set, that's for sure. Well, I mean, if you look at the players on our list that are nearing the end of their career, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that any of the positions he could fill has a player in that category, um, which means he's competing with all guys that are in their prime or, on the, or very close to it. Um, it is going to be very hard for him to get a spot, you'd think, unless there's some horrible, horrible injuries. I guess one of the options that we could do is maybe move a broadbent or a pitard onto a wing and see um, Darcy Byrne-Jones take over a back flank or maybe even... He might end up good enough to take on a wing spot on his own anyway. Yeah, maybe. He he would be in the 
bottom six of our list at the moment, don't you reckon? And I'm not saying this in an offensive way. I just think where he's situated at the moment, um, yeah, he's he's got a tough battle without significant improvement. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations, like in the NFL they have the depth chart where they list everyone by position and you can say, okay, you're the third in line to be a wide receiver or whatever else or this position or this position. I think that if you put him on a depth chart uh, for our side, he's really fourth or below for every position he can play. Um, so, yeah, he'd definitely be the bottom six overall, I would imagine. Yeah. But we knew that when we took him, that he would be a mm. long-term prospect. He was a small, skinny kid. Um, you know, he's he's put some time and effort into building up his body. He's still got a, a fair way to go in that regard. Um, no, I think the club understands that, and that's why he got a contract um, extension this year as well. I think we need to see something amazing in 2016 at SANFL level. I think if he can build out his output, maybe get to a you know eighteen or nineteen disposals a game, do some really good shutdown jobs down back, um, he'll stay on the list for a couple couple more years. I think. Fair enough. Janus. Everything that I could possibly say about Darcy has already been said. Um, <laughs> I would. The only thing I would say is is that having players like him on the list is what a premiership quality side actually does they've always got some player that's being developed in their reserve side so that when the other players get on a little bit you've always got someone who can come and step into that particular role so um possibly what the club might be thinking of is like at a say in a couple of years time once um say burn jones is develop to the point where they go okay let's uh give him some games or whatever and he performs well then you could possibly look at losing a, a guy like a, a broadbent or a um or an o'shea or whatever i mean not saying that you would do it but that could be the the thing they're looking at in terms of well you've got that tradable commodity then conversely you could do the same thing with uh um burn jones as well you know, so you've always got that extra. It's always better to come from a um, in trades a position of um, surplus than a position of scarcity, because if you're scared, if there's not many of them, then you're always looking at well, who we're going to replace them with. Well, now you know who you're going to replace them with. You've got a player in reserves who's doing a particular, doing exactly the same role, and he's been doing it for the past four years, learning how to play. Uh, particular game style and game plan so you've got someone you can seamlessly slot in and that's what Hawthorne does you've got players who they all know the game plan and they can just slot in into that particular role because that's what they've been doing at Box Hill or wherever they're playing so that's yeah. what I'd be that's what I'd be saying about keeping on the list but at the same time you know it could be one of those things where the, he doesn't show anything and then after a couple of years or whatever it's like oh well it didn't work out let's try something else yeah, look, I, I'm i not sure that there's really any trade value to it because what the one thing that is definitely not on Dern Jones' side in terms of having a trade value is that there's no scarcity involved. Um, if you're developing a player for a long time at, uh, at a lower level than AFL, um, it usually needs to be a player that is hard to get otherwise. Um, the reality is that it's easy to get flankers every year. Every year there's flankers available for trade. Um, or that have just been recently delisted that are just okay. Um, so finding that kind of lock-in replacement is not really too hard. I mean, it, it's it's 
you can get an okay AFL player any any year, any trading period. Um, the difficult part is to get the exceptional ones. Uh, so I'm not sure that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what people saw in Burn Jones that they think he's worth this development. I'm interested to see it. I'd love to see it. Um, uh, 2016, hopefully we do. But beyond that, I would think if he hasn't shown something that makes him look like he's a real AFL chance, it's probably time to roll the dice to someone else again. Mm. And particularly as next year's meant to be a better draft anyway. Mm, don't know about that. Mm. Which part? Next year's draft, I've heard it's um, oh, possibly really? worse than this year. Oh, God, okay. Ah. Which, which is pretty bad. <laughs> What's going on with our player development then? What do you mean? Well, as a league level, if the drafts are getting worse, surely with all the money and player development, shouldn't each draft year be getting better and stronger? I think the year after that's looking outstanding. I think 2017 is meant to be a bit of a super draft, but yeah. I, from what I've heard, I, next year is meant to be pretty light on as well. I, I saw an under that happens. Eight game. That happens sometimes. Yeah. I saw an under eight game last week, and that Charlie kid was just out of this world. I can't wait for another ten years. It'll be awesome. Mm. Okay. All right, last play. We're going to talk about Sam Russell, 19 years old. He was a small defender. Uh, played 21 matches at SANFL level this year for 12 disposals, three marks a game. Uh, I thought he improved um, quite a lot in 2015 compared to what he showed in 2014, but I guess not enough as he was uh, delisted at the end of the season. Yeah, I don't know anything about him. Move on. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> James? Well, he's, not, he's not on our list anymore, is he? So um, that's it. Still worth talking about. I liked. Uh, I really liked Sam Russell. I liked his defensive ability, had decent pace, good skills. Um, but we've got so many small defenders, I guess he was always up against it, um, unless he put forth uh, an extraordinary season, which um, he wasn't able to do. Um, but yeah, I guess he was uh, one of those players picked in the 2013 draft where we just seemed to pick defender after defender, hoping that um, some of them would, would be okay. Yeah, that was, a, it was definitely a scattershot uh, philosophy to drafting, same as last year, I suppose we kind of did with tools. Um, it'll be interesting to see what position we scatter shot draft this year. Maybe half forwards. I don't know. Hopefully midfielders. Well, yeah, maybe. I can. I think we probably could justify. But when I say half forwards, I kind of mean attacking midfielders anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, could be. Mm. Genius. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> What was that sound? Anyway, uh, I've got nothing. Well, <laughs> Norwegian Sam, what, what was what, Norwegian what was the, uh, Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, I didn't. Sam Russell was drafted as a rookie, right? Wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Once you're drafting a whole, I think the way we're looking at it is like you, you guys have said, we seem to go for a one particular type of player and just overload that particular thing and see, okay, who are these guys is going to be um, considered to be good, you know, um, after a, a few um, uh, seasons or whatever, and then to list the ones that are not showing any promise and keep the ones that are. So um, does it work? Well, 
don't know. It's been a, we've done it for, for the past two years. It might work. It might um, it might not. But he can't say that he didn't have the opportunities to actually show something, especially since he was on. But I guess the other thing too is that because he was on the rookie list, it was either a case of get rid of him or upgrade him, wasn't it? So yeah. it might have been just a case of. Sorry, you haven't shown enough to warrant being upgraded to the main list, so um, it's time to look at someone else. Yeah. I really personally, just on the rookie list, I kind of wish we were at the point where we'd get rid of it. Um, I, don't think it, it I don't think it serves a good purpose because um, you'd be better off with a larger list for uh, certainly availability of players to clubs. Um, and I also think it's better off for players because the rookies don't get paid as much as most draftees, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if they get paid as much as like a sixth-round national draftee. They don't get the same opportunities. Um, it's just a really weird mechanic to keep around. I think if we just increase list sizes across the board to, say, 42 again, back like it was, I think, some time ago, I think that that would probably be an improvement. And that way, if you're on the list, you know you've got a shot. Yeah, some teams might not draft young guys. They might draft, you know depth players, but that improves the quality of the competition anyway. Um, so, I don't know. I, that, that's my feeling. I think the rookie list is a concept that's time has passed, personally. I don't think yep. it's good for anyone. Yeah, I think it's a bit outdated. I, th- I personally would like some sort of active, inactive list sort of thing to take its place, but that's yep. just me. I think there's there might be room for that sort of um, list structure in the AFL, but yeah, I, I don't really see the point of the rookie list anymore. Yeah. You could probably do a list like you're talking about if you didn't have so many teams. You actually have the talent to fill up all those positions. But, yeah, I don't know. If you have a look at some of the guys that are getting around on rookie lists and stuff and they just get delisted after a couple of years, you know, and you don't want to be paying. I suppose it it all depends on whether you've got a national reserves competition, I guess, rather than yeah. You know, you need someone... Yeah. I'm happy for there to be some sort of supplementary list. I think the way an active or inactive list would work is, say, this year, for example, we drafted Dougal Howard, who was never, ever going to get a game this year at AFL level. You draft him in the national draft. We picked up Nathan Cracker in the uh, in the supplementary draft. That way we can move Dougal Howard to the inactive list, move Nathan Cracker to the active list for the year. Bang. Sorted. But we what, don't have the situation what... mid-year where we have to put Cracker back onto the rookie list because someone's not injured anymore and needs to play games. Um, so he's got to go back on the rookie list and then he can't play even though he's um, you know a first 18 player, which is just yeah, but, stupid. But what's even the, the, the purpose of the rookie list then? I, I mean, what I, I personally don't understand what harm it would do to just say the rookie every rookie every rookie player can play every game. For example, like they're they're just regular players on the list. As soon as they're drafted on, in either in the main draft or the rookie draft, or whatever else, like every player is on a list. I, I don't see how that harms the competition. I think it probably improves the standard, if anything, because you won't just be picking the lowest rated eighteen year olds in what is already a fairly shallow pool. Um, you might actually see a couple of guys like Logan kept around another year or two, um, which isn't the worst thing. And it certainly means that if you have a, a horrible run with injuries like we saw Gold Coast have this year, then maybe you've got a bit more shot of having some mature player ready to come in and make it so your team doesn't fall completely to shit. Um, I don't know. 
I just don't see there's any benefit to having any supplementary list, really. Mm. No, that's also true. Wasn't the original point of the rookie list to, like, basically train on players at the start, but then clubs decided to use it as some sort of, like, um, cultivating ground for players they weren't quite sure of, so they'd pay them less money, even though they probably deserved to have an AFL contract at some point. Yep. Yeah, but they'll say, oh, yeah, we'll pay you 50 grand or 40 grand or whatever, and then we'll get you for free. And we can have a look at you for like a couple of years before we pull the pin, pull the um, trigger, and put you on the main list. Yeah. You know? I think it's another one of those rules that was sort of created by the AFL with no thought as to how teams would use it, like most AFL rules. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, it was probably better when you were only allowed two rookie list players, and that was it. Yeah. Every club had two, and then suddenly some clubs were allowed to have six, and now every club's got six, and yeah. there's probably just too many players in the system right now. And, and also, originally, rookies, you had to be under a certain age. Like, I think you basically yeah. had to be like a... It was under 23, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and now you can have rookies at any age and, you know, veterans, whatever it was for a while, they counted against your rookie list and shit like that. And it just became a farce really quickly because the original purpose was not really producing a lot. Yeah. Um, and guys like Tom Logan and Heath Scotland, who are 31 years old, aren't rookies. <laughs> Quite yeah. clear. No. So they should not. just scrap the name rookie list completely because it's not a rookie list anymore. No, or just scrap the list and extend the main list. My view. Anyway, that's my, mm. that's my that's my draft politics corner for the week. I'll shut up now. <laughs> that's it. And on that note, that uh, ends the podcast for this evening. Thank you, everyone, for coming back on. Thank you. Can I, can I just add one thing? Let's talk about Jimmy Tumpus coming to Port Adelaide, and we haven't discussed that yet. What do you think? <clears throat> I think uh, depending on what we would have to give up, I think it's um, it's very much a good situation to be in. I'm happy for talented players to want to come to Port Adelaide. Um, if his body's right, which um, might be under question, um, mm. and if it if it is right, if he can develop, it's one of those sort of uh, low risk, high reward sort of picks if we get him for the right price. Yep. Well, there's a midfielder you're looking for, Macca. Well, that's it. Draft a midfielder. Maybe we draft uh, or we trade in Tumpus and go to the draft and try and find another project key back as another backup and uh, another project key forward and see if any of them come good. Yeah. I don't think we really need a key back, but I think a key forward mm-hmm. is definitely on the cards. And, you know, a player like Tumpus with, um, you know, with pace and skill and, you know, goal sense and that sort of thing, um, if he can develop into that sort of player, then that's fantastic. Yeah, from the live games I saw at Tumpus this year, I, I, there were some aspects of his game I was pretty pleased with, and they're the ones that I always rabbit on about, like blocking and shepherding. Um, he did do a bit of that, which I love seeing. Um, so it's good, to, and particularly from an outside player, it's really good to see because it's so easy to be a lonely, um, particularly in a side like Melbourne. Um, you know, Ben Newton, he didn't do any of that stuff, I can tell you. The people are saying Ben Newton had a better year than Tumpus, I don't agree, but... Uh, do you know what yeah. I love? If we if we get Tumpus is um, when we have a successful year in 2016. How all the team opposition supporters will squeal about how many number one or sorry first round <laughs> draft picks we have in our team and how we've cheated the system or something. Yeah. Look, we can't yeah. help being a destination club. If players want to come here, 
come to Papa. But why? Why? Why is that? What has changed? Why? Why are we now uh, a destination? It's because we're the we're the club that gets deals done. That's all it is. We're the club that gets deals done. If you're a player and you're thinking I want to go to a club. You don't talk to Collingwood because they fart ass around and they promise you the world and then they don't try or they just say, nah, I couldn't do it, mate. Sorry, do whatever. Whereas Fork get deals done and that's really attractive. So you've got to make a big decision about your career that you're a bit uncertain about. And, and I also, also think that people have seen over the last few years how players develop at Albany and, and they've developed a lot. You know, a lot of players that people were happy to write off, you know, guys like O'Shea developed into, into some very, very good footballers. So why wouldn't you want to come here? Janice? I was going to say that pretty much when was the the year that Paul Connors said he wouldn't yeah, basically it was 2012 for, I reckon for Port no, Adelaide 2009. Like, out of any any conversations and stuff and just concentrate on developing your own list and like getting draft picks and stuff because we, we weren't at the stage of being able to attract tradable players 2009, because I reckon it was it was his client John Butcher that got um, that got drafted, and I remember the interview on uh, on Fox after he got drafted, where they brought up his quote of saying that no one wants to go to Port Adelaide, and they said, "Well, one of your clients has actually gone there now. What do you think of that?" Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that he's actually been proven. O- October eight, 2009, in the Australian. Yeah, a leading player manager says Port Adelaide are having trouble getting deals done because no one wants to play for the club. Yes, and then you can see it's it's turned around because his client was Paddy Ryder last year. You know, so it's one of those things that once you get your house in order and get the development and um, get the, um, the support staff in place, then everything else will turn around. But you've got to have that there first before you can start to attract anyone else. You've got to fix the internal before you can concentrate on attracting things from the external. And I think that's oh, why yeah. some of the clubs like Melbourne or, you know, they don't seem to want to do that. They all think, oh, yeah, we'll get these players in and this will fix the problem. But you've got to fix the, the problem inside first before you can start doing that. No, I think the, the leaders internally say, no, nah, we've had enough. Time to make a stand. We're going to sign on and go through this together and get this club out of its shit. I think that was yeah. an important moment. And we saw straight after that, you know, Ebert came, Homsch came, Polek came, Monfries came. You know, all, Matty White, who had no link to Port Adelaide at all, wanted to come to Alberton. You know, all these players have come here. Paddy Ryder, now possibly Tumpers, Charlie Dixon. It's a lot of players that have chosen um, to come to Alberton from other AFL clubs. And, it, and it's a great thing. Is that because the coach has a vision on where that player will fit in with his game plan and then articulates to the player the need that he has for them and uh, therefore uh, the player really gets attracted to that role and that vision and therefore wants to come to the club? That definitely happened with White, didn't it? That was the reason why he came over because Port Adelaide and Ken said, this is how we're going to play you. You're not going to be the sub every every week like he was at Richmond. We've got this particular vision that we're going to say, we're going to have you on a wing and you're going to do this. And he's like, well, this is where I want to go. And I think yeah. that's one of the <clears> things that we didn't have with, unfortunately, with um, 
not only with the development side, but also just with the the tactics and the structural side with Matthew Primus, he didn't have that that vision of where what he saw the game being played like. He was just copying other people's ideas and other things, and it's like, well, if you can't if you can't explain it to me, then how am I going to ever do it? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, you're right, and I think that really it's you know. The off-field stuff is mostly, I think, is a big part as well because it comes down to players wanting to be at a team that is focused and knows what they're doing uh, and has a goal because that means they're professional. It means that they're more likely to not be full of backbiting and whatever or infighting and backstabbing and whatever else. Um, we talked, You talked about Melbourne, about how they're not that sort of side and Melbourne's problems are bigger than that because they're waiting for someone to rescue them. Um, and I think that... We came close to that with Matty Primus when we were trying to be humble. Um, it doesn't really say much about your, your club if you're just sort of trying to get by and not be noticed and just get along um, because it probably means you're doing a lot of things that, with bad intentions off the field. And I think that certainly one club helps in attracting players now because they know who we are. You know, they know who we are. We know what we stand for. There's some things they can recognise about us. There's some tradition they're more aware of. It's, it's the whole package, I guess, um, not just the coach. It's the club. The club has improved itself. I don't think anyone can deny that right now. Ooh. Yep. All good stuff. Sorry. And on that note, can the pair. Can the power. Step up on the plate, Dermot. Every kid in the backyard with the big trees lined up with the footy before mum calls you in for dinner. The shot for goal after the siren to win it. Jared Poulton, your time has come. Drop punt. Your time has come. What a win.